You are listening to Change Agents, Conversations with Human Rights and Social Justice Advocates on WERU. I am Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. My guests today are Muhammad Ali Ibrahim and Bright Lakusa. Both Muhammad and Bright have lived and worked in Lewiston, Maine for years. Their work is focused on helping immigrants on a range of issues, including working to reduce bias and stereotypes about immigrants from longtime Americans. Mohammed is originally from the country of Djibouti in East Africa. Bright is originally from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Both Mohammed and Bright identify as being black. Uh, uh, Mohammed, can you uh, just start by describing uh, uh, where Djibouti is, the languages that are spoken, just just for a, a minute or two? Yes. Uh, good morning, uh, Steve. Uh, yes, I am from Djibouti, and I was born in a small town in the north, up north Djibouti, uh, which is on Babel Mandeb, on the Red Sea, across the Yemen. And Djibouti is uh, is a neighbor uh, with Ethiopia, Eritrea, Somalia, and uh, Yemen. Uh, so that, a, that that's a perfect um, description. And for uh, listeners, God, when we're finished, you can, uh, if you want more, you can get an atlas on the internet. Um, uh, and what languages do, do you speak? Uh, we have uh, three uh, languages, national, local languages, which is uh, which are Somali, uh, Afar, and Arabic. Uh, and the official language in the country is French. And what other languages do you speak other than those? Uh, I speak English, yeah. other than the Somali and French and Arabic. Okay. And uh, when did you first start focusing on human rights? I think when we talked, it was in high school. Yes. Uh, I think human rights is kind of instinct uh, uh, engagement of uh, so many people. So many people think about uh, what's going on around them or engaged. So I think the first, my first uh, uh, understanding of human rights could be uh, at the seventh or eighth grade at school when we were talking about what is wrong with the country in, in, in Djibouti with other friends and uh, discussing about what can we change and reading books around uh, changes and the uh, French Revolution and all that. So that was my first interaction with that. Uh, and in eighth grade, you and your friends did this outside of the classroom? Yes. Um, I, I would have been out trying to pretend I could play basketball. <laughs> Uh, um, so at some point you left Djibouti to go to Qatar. Uh, 
which is a uh, is not a neighboring country. Is that right? It's not. Yeah, uh, Qatar is uh, in the Middle East, uh, okay. near Saudi Arabia, okay. and and the EU, E A U, E E A U, and yeah. So, so what caused you to to leave Djibouti? Uh, I think it was uh, economic migration because the country in two in two thousand eight was uh, going through uh, an economic crisis, and uh, I think that is a, 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 at that point so many Djiboutians just left Djibouti because of uh, uh, we were at the end of. Uh, civil war that uh, went on for five years in the north part of Djibouti, and it was. Uh, uh, I think that was the reason that people were leaving. But then, and personally, that's the reason why I left Djibouti. And when you first first arrived, what was the job you had? Yeah, I worked as a, a security guard. Uh, contractor uh, at the University of Qatar uh, for a couple of years and then had the opportunity to uh, apply for another job with a French uh, company that operates in Qatar and yeah and and start my life so far. And then um, at some point the U.S. military? Yes and uh, were you speaking fluent English at that point? I was starting picking up uh, to speak English, start reading, uh, and uh, I attended a test and passed to for for a job at the U.S. military base in Qatar. And, and uh, were you were you pretty sure you were going to pass that test? I was not sure. I tried and was one of the eighteen people who were selected in that. Uh, in that test and uh, it was 60 people who attended the test so it was like I was pretty surprised myself Um, uh, and you were doing translation it was translation from Arabic to uh, from Arabic to English yes so the the next stop uh, was the you getting a job in the Djibouti embassy in Qatar. And uh, what was that about? And uh, and what were the political things going on in Djibouti? Uh, yes, there was a, a, an open. They opened the embassy of Djibouti in 2005. Uh, it was uh, just a before I a year before I ended my contract with the U.S. military. And having known the ambassador, uh, they had an opening uh, at the embassy uh, for a translation uh, position, translator position. And I applied it and worked as a translator. Uh, But because of uh, a shortage of staff at the embassy, uh, I was assigned to do more work, uh, which were mostly diplomatic because I was not a diplomat, but uh, the ambassador was forced to 
uh, uh, give me uh, diplomatic uh, uh, work at the embassy until uh, 2010, uh, when the president of Djibouti uh, changed the constitution to run uh, for a third term uh, of, uh, of the presidency, which was kind of unconstitutional. Uh, and the ambassador had a different position. He, was, uh, he expressed his opposition to that, uh, to that amendment of the constitution. And from that point, we, we felt uh, a lot of pressure from the government of Djibouti financially and in so many other ways. And at some point, the president fired the, the ambassador? Yes. And when the, the ambassador got fired, he sought asylum to the Qatari government, which uh, granted him. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we continue to work with, uh, with the next appointed ambassador for four months uh, before I, I left for myself. And left to the U.S. Um, if you had gone back to Djibouti, would you have been welcomed with open arms by the government? No, definitely. I am sure that would not be the case. It would be uh, investigation. It would be uh, interrogation questions around uh, the, the, the former ambassador of Djibouti in Qatar and his positions. M- might you have been put in jail or worse? Yeah, we, it, it, this uh, the government of Djibouti is unpredictable. It's a it's a government that really operates like a gang, and uh, they could, they have no uh, rules to follow. And uh, I think the authority of Djibouti is above the law, so they could do anything that they want. Well, I'm glad you got out and came to the U.S. and. Uh, eventually applied for um, uh, a uh, a status that would allow you to to stay um, uh, bright. Um, uh, you and your older brother and your mother left the Democratic Republic of of Congo, and why? So we left because of political persecution, civil unrest, and my parents just thought it was not a good environment to raise their kids. And so they made the decision to um, take us to South Africa. Um, And uh, my understanding of, which is not very deep about the Democratic Republican um, uh, is the DRC is that there are many different ethnic groups or um, and were you in a group that um, was being viewed as in a negative or worse light? So there definitely is tribalism in the Democratic Republic of Congo, but I would say it was more so the rebel groups coming from surrounding countries and like and the opportunity that was given to them by the polit- the political and civil unrest to be able to infiltrate and attack um, the people of the Congo. 
And did you um, experience or see any, when you were in the DRC, uh, any violence? Absolutely. I remember, I think some of the earliest memories of me, of, of myself as a young child is of like hiding under tables to get away from ricocheting or flying bullets, you know, and that's a pretty traumatic experience. Uh, that was an understatement. That's, that's often, were there other incidents as you grew, grew older? Uh, I left at a very young age. I left when I was seven. So my memory of that time, I think, is probably either suppressed or minimal. But uh, my family definitely have more experience and more memories of that time. And sometimes we speak about those stories and the, how that time affected us. And it's pretty chilling. And uh, you went to South Africa. Yes. And you were there for how many years? About uh, more or less 12 years. And where, uh, what kind of a school were you in? So I was in a public school over there. Um, the public system isn't like here. Students pay uh, tuition and we wear uniforms. I think that kind of levels it out for all students. So there isn't the whole notion mm-hmm. of, you know, how it is, like the rich kids having name brand clothing and all of that were all made level and equal by wearing uniforms. So I really appreciated that. And it also kind of brings a form of discipline that I think uniforms bring that um, home clothes don't bring. So uh, I went to public school. Uh, and um, what languages do you speak? I speak three right now. So English, French, and Lingala, which is a Congolese Congolese native language. Um, when I was in South Africa, I during those 12 years, I did learn a fourth language, Afrikaans. But since being in the United States and not having the ability to speak that language with anybody else, it has kind of fallen away. But I think if I were to go back to South Africa today, by any chance, I could probably listen and understand. <laughs> um, okay. So did there come a time in South Africa when uh, your mother and and your family decided it wasn't safe there? Absolutely. So when the unrest also began in South Africa with xenophobia, we, it took us by surprise, I would say, because obviously when we left the Congo heading to South Africa, we were looking for a, a a peaceful place to live, a secure place to live. And for a very long time, it was that for us. But when the xenophobic attacks began and um, non-South African, excuse me, non-South African, non-South African Black people were being targeted, violated, killed, burned, anything that you can think of, like, uh, being attacked in their homes, their stores being looted, um, their 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 property, their properties being vandalized. It was really it was really a difficult time. And I remember when we were watching the first news of the xenophobic attacks on the news, we just couldn't believe what was happening. We it didn't make sense to us how our own black brothers and sisters, like our own African fellow Africans could attack attack their own African brothers and sisters. And, you know, it was just a time where 
everybody was uneasy because you didn't know where to go. You didn't know if you could speak, you could speak your own language and in fear of being discovered that you were not South African. So it was a very, very difficult time. Uh, well, it sounds very scary. Did you actually see uh, anything that was uh, violence toward uh, black people who had immigrated to South Africa? Absolutely. We were attacked in our home um, and they took our belongings. And I also remember when I was writing my midterms, my senior midterms, um, I was finished with my exams and I was heading home and my school was located at the end of a very long road. And so I, when I got out of the school gates, I saw, I saw a commotion and there were a lot of people surrounding something. So I went closer to take a look and I saw that they were actually like beating somebody up. And when I asked what was going on, they said, oh, this person is a foreigner. They tried to supposedly steal somebody's cell phone, but just the way that they were hitting him and the hatred that I could see in their actions and the way that they were just going on, it made me very fearful of my life because I said that could potentially be me in any given situation just because I'm not from this country. And I went back home and I told my mother and I said, I can't go back to that place. I feel, I feel so scared for my life. I don't know what I'm going to do because I have to finish my exams, but I don't think I can go back there. And it really took me at least a couple of days to get over that initial fear to just be able to go back and finish my exams and finish out the year because I was so close to the end that it wouldn't have made sense to give up then, even though the, I was feeling all of those things. I, I think you have a lot of courage. I think a lot of people would not have going back. Um, I'm glad you did. And I'm also uh, very glad that um, uh, your family then left um, as uh, Mohammed um, seeking asylum uh, and spending time in Lewiston. Yes. So uh, you are listening to Change Agents Conversations with Human Rights and Social Justice Advocates in WERU. I'm Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. My guests today are Muhammad Ali Ibrahim and Bright Lukusu. Both Muhammad and Bright have lived and worked in Lewiston, Maine for years. Their work has focused on helping immigrants on a range of issues, including working to reduce bias and stereotypes about immigrants from longtime Americans. Muhammad is originally from the country of Djibouti in East Africa. Bright is originally from the Democratic Republic of the Congress. Congress, both Muhammad and Bright identify as being black. Um, Bright, can you talk about the work that you're doing now? Absolutely. So right now, uh, at this moment, I work for a financial literacy nonprofit and we are educating the community on basic money management and really the information or the education that we believe allows somebody to be successful, especially as a newcomer to the United States. And I took this class um, from this organization specifically when I first got to this country. And I really believe that it was a stepping stone for me to be 
as successful as I am today. And so I always encourage people to take this class and continue to, 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 to pierce through the barriers that are stopping them. And one of those barriers are honestly financial barriers because you come to this country, you have no idea about anything that has to do with credit or how to even open a bank account. What are the best options for you? And so I'm really happy to be doing the work that I'm doing now. And I also believe that it goes towards the aspect of social justice because as Black people, as immigrants, we are... the um, we are less educated when it comes to these things. And for me to be doing this work, educating my community and educating people like me to be informed and make informed decisions when it comes to their finances, their finances, that's also one step towards being more successful as a race and as a population. That is, it really is important. And thank you for that work. And Mohammed, what, um, who do you work uh, or where do you work? Uh, yes, uh, I work with uh, Maine People's Alliance. Uh, it's, I think, the largest uh, action group in Maine. Uh, and I am a base in Lewiston, uh, and Auburn you, area. And you've been there for quite a number of years now. Yeah, I've been working uh, with Maine People's Alliance since 2016. So can you, you talk about uh, what your current work is? Yes, so it's more about um, engaging uh, the community and working with uh, leaders uh, to, uh, to move the work that we're doing as uh, immigrant from uh, focusing on and service providing uh, level to uh, a civic engagement level. Uh, could, could you give an example of, of the kind of civic engagement that you are hoping immigrants will? Right. Involve? I mean, organizing, organizing uh, communities uh, uh, during elections around issues that really matter to them and uh, being aware of who is representing them, uh, connecting with representatives and elected officials and having uh, those relationships built between the community and, uh, and uh, the, the, the elected officials. Because uh, I think that is really very important uh, thing to do uh, because Personally, I came from uh, from Djibouti, and I understand how the system in Djibouti used to work. Uh, the political decisions and the decisions about people's life were never uh, uh, were never discussed with people. It's been uh, it's uh, I lived under dictatorship, and I think so many immigrant communities live in. Uh, in dictatorship, in authoritarian uh, system and regimes. And I think this is important for them to know this is not the same system. They have a voice. Uh, they can talk to the elected officials, elected officials who work for them. And that is the angle uh, that uh, we try to address. Yeah, I, I, about both of your projects right now, um, 
I think have some similarities, even though you might not think so, but it's, it's empowering um, uh, immigrants to take, to take charge of themselves and their community and not be passive, to be able to make sure that they are managing their, uh, their money, but also being able to advocate for change in other ways. Um, yeah, what's interesting, I, I went through uh, the program that Bright uh, and uh, her organization ran. <laughs> I, I, mean, I took that first course of financial education and got the certificate when I came here, I think uh, two years later after I came here, I went through uh, that program and it's been very useful really. I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> um, uh, well, it uh, it sounds like it's um, it continues to be important because there are continued number of numbers of immigrants coming here who uh, often aren't fluent in English when they get here, and uh, they need it. They need people to do the kind of help that you're both of you are both of you are doing um, so um, one of the things that well let me back up for a sec um, uh, bright um, uh, I I know in between uh, positions that were taking a lot of time you have um, uh, going to college in Lewiston. Can you just briefly describe the degree and the school you went to? Absolutely. So I went to Central Maine Community College, which is based in Auburn, Maine. And I got my associate's degree in business administration. And I loved my college experience. If I could do my four years at the community college, I would 100% do it. Like the teachers were so helpful and 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 just as dedicated to your success as you, the student. And everybody just works together to make the most out of the successful class. And I really appreciated that. The advisors are really great. And it it made my experience, it made, it made me remember and enjoy going to school again, which was something I didn't think that I would, I would experience. <laughs> oh, that's, that, well, that is wonderful. Um, and uh, are you going to be moving on to get uh, another degree? I would love to. I want to transfer to probably either the University of Maine or the University of Southern Maine or maybe another university to complete my bachelor's degree and maybe even go on to my master's and hopefully a PhD. <laughs> uh, well, knowing you as I do, uh, I think you can do anything. So. Thank you. Uh, and, uh, and Mohammed, have you... Uh, uh, been uh, doing other other things that are uh, important uh here in the u.s no i haven't uh i think i've been uh spending most of my time uh uh working and i think providing the support uh 
to the community needs. Uh, because I think one of the uh, one of the uh, things that really marked my 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 life since I am here was when the number of Djiboutians who migrate who start migrating to the U.S. as asylum seekers uh, increased and. Uh, I was one of the people who were helping them write their asylum uh, file, their asylum, their asylum cases, and uh, give the give the support that they needed. And it's been really uh, intense uh, and and time time consuming. Well, incredibly important. And you yourself now, uh, your status. I am a permanent resident. Yeah. Um, And then then at some point, uh, you will be allowed to uh, become a citizen. Great. Yeah. In in a couple of years, I will be eligible to uh, apply for citizenship. And, and right, you're still, your family's still waiting for a hearing on. whether or not you can stay yes. and get asylum. We have not yet had our asylum interview. The backlog is, I think, four or five years long. <laughs> so I have no idea when we're going to be called. And it's really hard because can't do anything, can't leave the country, just got to stay here and <laughs> work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I oh. hear you, Bright. Uh, I've been uh, in that. Uh, process for four years and a half before I was called for an interview. So it's painful, and I understand that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, both of you have uh, have worked for years uh, along with me, um, uh, reducing anti-immigrant bias, and uh, and. Uh, and religious bias toward Muslims and racist bias based on on skin color. Uh, uh, at the same time of the work you've been doing on empowering uh, immigrants to gain skills for living in America, both on the political side, on the economic. Um, what what do you think are the most significant issues that that immigrants in Lewiston and Auburn as well are, what's what's most significant? What would be your top one or two issues? Mohammed. Mohammed, we can't hear you. You're on... I sorry, I was speaking on you. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, yeah, since I think uh, the election twenty twenty, I think uh, people uh, are kind of relieved because of uh, the the the, con- the continuous uh, uh, attack on immigrants that were coming from the former president 
were intense and 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 really fearful for immigrants who are already live in fear in, in in this country and increase the bias around immigration. Uh, uh, but since then, I think there is a kind of relief, but still, uh, people need to be reassured and and not be afraid. Uh, uh, and I think, uh, you know, opening conversation as we have done uh, before uh, will be will be really crucial for for that. Uh, uh, yeah, to for, for, hey, to, to create a better in, environment and, and a safe environment for everyone. So, um, Bright, I'm going to ask you the same question, but first, I want to let listeners know uh, what we're doing. You are listening to Change Agents Conversations with Human Rights and Social Justice Advocates on WERU. I'm Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. My guests today are Muhammad Ali Ibrahim and Bright Lakusa. Both Muhammad and Bright have lived and worked in Lewiston, Maine for years. Their work has focused on helping immigrants on a range of issues, including working to reduce bias and stereotypes about immigrants for, from longtime Americans. Uh, Muhammad is originally from the country of Djibouti in East Africa. Bright is originally from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Both Muhammad and Bright identify as being black. So. Uh, what's your thought about um, both the, the, the prior level of uh, degrading language about religion, about race, about just immigration itself, um, and what's happening now? That's a really good question. I think it is definitely more... The past four years made it, made it, how can I explain this? Gave a voice for people to be able to say more things out in the open. And now I think. Oh, can, can, I, can I just stop? Because I want to make sure. Are, are you talking about people who may have had some uh, negative views about immigrants or Muslims? Yes. Um, okay. Yes, yes. Is, is, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So, yes, the past four years in, with the former administration made it easier for people to feel like they could say those things out loud at a greater capacity uh, because they were seeing that kind of language on the news, on the media and all of that. And has that disappeared now? I do not. That has not disappeared. That has not disappeared at all. Uh, I think now people are still living in that emboldened spirit. It's not going to go away. Like once you've been emboldened to do those things, <laughs> I think it only requires education to be able to get out of that headspace because you already know that you can do these things without any kind of consequences. And you feel like your actions are, um, are, are actually supported by people who are in power. And so you don't see why it's wrong for you not to do these things. Does that make sense? So I believe that 
we we have so I I think after these four years we kind of took multiple steps back and now we have so much more work to do because it's really no it, we it's not going to go away by ignoring it. And I'm um, I'm just you know um, start with you, Mohammed. Um, uh, uh, while there's you both think there's a problem, do you do you also know many? Um, white people from Lewiston and Auburn who will stand up and speak up for the rights of immigrants. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, I have uh, wonderful co-workers and partners uh, who, uh, who who are uh, against anything that is threatening to any community or that is by based on bias or stereotype. And I, and I, and I know there is, uh, there's a lot of people in, in, in Lewis and Auburn and, and, and anywhere, I believe, uh, that are, uh, resisting, uh, those kind of, uh, stereotypes to, to continue. And Muhammad, do, do, do you agree with what, or disagree with, uh, uh what right was saying about uh, the bias is still here. Yes, I I do, uh, and I think as Wright stated well, uh, it's uh, it's not something that will go just to vanish away, but it will be it will require some work to do, some 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 more education, uh, some more outreach and communication. Uh, with with people who who have uh, uh, I mean negative uh, perception around uh, immigration and immigrants. And um, Mohammed, did you tell me that you had a a recent incident um, that either you heard about or you heard directly? Or either of you. I should, I should have noted down that uh, experience. But uh, Brian, do you have any any recent experience? I don't have any recent experience. Um, I would say only because we're still slowly coming out of the lockdown, and so n- nothing has been face to face personal, but online and the messaging the news cycle articles all of that you know they try to be subtle about it but it's obviously very evident that people have opinions negative opinions surrounding um especially immigrants and like people are not afraid to write about it or tweet about it or whatever it may be how does that affect you personally it makes me feel like i'm not welcome here it makes me feel like unsafe like somebody could try something to hurt me just for coming here as a person looking for a safer and more secure environment to live my life like I always tell people we don't come here by choice we come here by circumstances things that have happened to us the trauma that we've experienced in our lives has led us to come here and um, be in this country like people just see us as these intruders, these outsiders, these invaders, and that's not what we are, you know? Um, 
we are the product of our environment. We are the product of the things that have happened to us that has led us here. And so that's what I want people to understand. You said that so beautifully, but it, and it made me think um, so many immigrants, um, Asian, uh, uh, Muslim, Jewish, Italian, um, Irish, we could go, go on and on uh, going back uh, so many years um, as uh, what built America. Absolutely. What built America was bringing in uh, people who needed to find the kind of, of um, freedom that is here, but, but also uh, whether it was 20 years ago or it's 120 years ago. Um, Mohammed, any thoughts about? about yeah, I uh, think it's a. It, 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 this is this is a, this is a beautiful country, and I think it's uh, uh, reasons that people uh, flee to, to the United States. It's not it's not by accident. It's because they they believe they can be protected. They can find. Safety, safety for their lives and for their uh, the lives of their children and build a, a better future and and will contrib contribute and be part of this uh, you know uh, the, the force that will continue uh, to build this country and I think that is the hope that uh, uh, brought us to, to the United States and and that's the reason why we didn't go to anywhere else. And we believe that exists, and we will uh, fight on the side of those who welcome, and we will be uh, we will be on the on the on the on the right side of history. I mean, uh, and we'll also educate people who will who want to know who we are. We're not here to, as uh, Bright was saying, we're not here to invade. We're not here to change. We're not here to uh, to impose anything. We're here to lead. Uh, in harmony with, uh, with with others and be part of, of the society. Oh, thank you both for um, speaking so beautifully about these issues. Um, so the three of us share um, a common project, which was the Community Conversation Project. Um, uh, Bright, would you mind giving a short description of what the community conversation project was? The, the community conversation started, I, I did not know what I was getting myself into. I was and um, I was invited to participate and we sat down in a circle and we started talking about some of the issues, the racial issues and the bias against Muslims that um, happens here in the Lewis and Auburn community and just in the state of Maine overall. And it was, I was really moved by that because I was like, it's about time that people start talking about these very apparent and very evident issues that are affecting people's lives every day, you know, especially the anti-Muslim um, bias. Like it is so, it is so toxic and it is so um, rooted in, 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 in people here. And it's just, when people need to make more of an effort to get to know people beyond the 
their external experience beyond the scarf that they are wearing beyond their skin color, you know? And I think that that was the community conversations was the first step in doing that. And the feedback that we got from Americans was, was that they were so surprised by some of the things that they learned from, from, from the black people, from the Muslim people. And they're like, we did not even think to think about these things. We did not even realize we didn't even know. And that's the thing they don't know. And it's, unfortunately as it is our job to educate them because where else are they going to get this education so i would say the community conversations have been very successful uh, so just just to fill in a little bit um the uh, community conversation project and then it uh continued under uh, a somewhat different name um uh, was bringing in uh up to even up to 30 people, um, uh, probably 18 to, to 30 uh, immigrants and longtime Americans to sit in a circle and uh, eat, eat a dinner together, but then to talk about all of these issues that we've been talking about today. And, uh, um, and they would come twice for two and a half hours each, uh, and uh, and uh, was uh, and it's been now done in other cities as well. But after the pandemic came, uh, that was not sustainable. Uh, Mohammed, your thoughts about? Uh, I think you participated in as many dialogues uh, as anybody. Yeah, uh, it was it was really interesting, and uh, my I the, the impression that uh, uh, really stayed with me from from that experience is uh, how we are lacking uh, uh, to have those kind of conversation, those kind of space uh, within our uh, communities. Uh, how we were, how we missed. Uh, to think uh, uh, those conversations should be apartment things. They should not be projects. They should be something that uh, exists in the community. Uh, that is my impression. And I think because uh, people who were coming to the same room uh, from, the, the, from the new Americans uh, side and uh, what we call it, uh, old American side, uh, 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 a long, long time Americans, uh, where they were on both sides, you would, you would see uh, there were always some new learning in, in the conversation. There were kind of, uh, they did not know before. They would always find something very exciting or interesting about the other side. And it's been it's been really, really uh, uh, life changing for for so many people because they they were learning. It was it was a lot of learning for for people. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember at uh, at the end of the project, we had a um, invited anybody who wanted to come to talk about about this and 
one of the people who spoke was an immigrant um, who was part of the project. And uh, she said what I learned, and then she started crying. And she said, mm -hmm. uh, I learned that there are so many more white people in Lewiston and Auburn that are really glad that we are here. Mm -hmm. um, and so part of it was just bringing out the goodwill in the community. Some of the other parts were helping people understand that their their views or stereotypes were not accurate. Uh, well, I hope, I hope it can come back as well. Um, so, um, the, the, this show is all about conversations between human rights advocates. Uh, you both work really hard. Uh, and uh, you could get far more money working for um, a financial institution, right? Or for uh, Mohammed Yu going in the city government, for example. Um, so why is it that you, uh, which is true of so many people doing human rights, uh, and just, I think, probably two minutes for each person, um, right? Um, well, why do you do it when long hours, hard, sometimes frustrating? That's a really good question, Steve. And it all boils down to one thing for me. I love what I do only because the impact that I see is tangible. Like, it's felt. I can feel it. I see it. It's in my community. I am my community. And that's what's most important to me. Like, there's nothing more important than waking up in the morning, doing something that impacts not only your life, but the life of your community for the better. And that's honestly why I do it as much as, as hard as it can be sometimes, as much work as it can be, feeling exhausted, all of it. But I, I keep going back to it because I love it and I love the impact that I'm making. Thank you, Mohammed. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's accidental <laughs> uh, for me to do this, uh, and it's it's been uh, it's been a great experience for myself uh, uh, as an asylum seeker uh, to try to find uh, support and help when I got here. And I think without those support, I would not be able to uh, to move uh, my life easier uh, as it happened. Uh, and I think it's it's the, the fact that the opportunity of uh, of being uh, in a place that uh, has the rule of law, that the freedom of uh, of uh, expressing yourself and and improving your life, it's one of the greatest thing that I feel. It's I have to be I have to value. I have to be grateful of, and uh, I think that that really makes a lot of difference for me. Uh, and I would love and, and I love to see my community growing uh, uh, to understand 
this this is home. This is a place that they can be. They can they can contribute. They can they can they can they can work harder to uh, to make the the life of of, of generations the, the the coming generations better, and 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 enjoy the uh, and enjoy the, the 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 freedom they have and thank you get engaged um and uh each of you can take um just uh about a minute and a half each um what's what's hard maybe it's an example what's what what brings you home at night some time and you say this is this is just too sad or too hard because I think for all of us who do human rights, those things happen. It doesn't stop us, but either of you? Yeah. Mahavi, do you want to go ahead? <laughs> yeah, I can, I can go ahead. Okay, I just, think just, just for a minute. Okay. Yeah, this is a good question. Uh, I think the hard part is when it's systemic. Uh, when things cannot move forward because of some uh, uh, some regulations or some systemic process is blocked, like what's happening to uh, Bright and so many asylum seekers uh, backlog that has no explanation. When you see people who are frustrated uh, and 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 blocked because of that system and you don't know what to do and you come home and you have no solution for that problem uh and at the same time they they, they are getting so so many other problems with with the system that was created uh first time by the systemic uh you know block, blockade that, that they are in so i think yeah when when we feel powerless it's uh, when I see this system is not really working to help uh, the community uh, uh, be in a better place. And uh, right in Absolutely. one minute. Absolutely, Mohammed. I agree with everything that you said. I think for me, when I get home, what makes me feel like sometimes defeated is the the resistance to change that many people sim- seem to have. And it's, they're, they, they'll smile in your face. They'll tell you that they want change, but they're not willing to do the work to, to work towards that change. And it's like coming home and watching the news and seeing yet another Black person killed because of police brutality. Like those things really make me feel like it's all the work that I'm doing for nothing. Like it's almost as if we take one step forward and 10 steps back. So I try not to let those things get to me, but sometimes it it gets it gets to be too much. So that is that is it for me. And then actually just one word from each of you. Um, um, knowing that this can become so hard, um, um, are are you more um, down or getting depressed about what things happen or do you still uh, have optimism that the work you do is making a difference? 
I still have optimism. I see the change every day and I keep the faith alive, the hope alive. So, and I'll always keep fighting no matter what. Thank you. Mohammed in 20 seconds. Yeah, I believe in in change and I believe it will happen uh, as, as as long as we want uh, want it to be uh, to happen. Uh, and yeah, the future will be a lot better. Uh, well, hearing you um, talk about the, the hard parts of this, but your your abiding sense of um, of optimism that uh, is is just so important because uh, if we don't keep at this work. Things will get worse. Uh, you have been listening to Change Agents, conversations with human rights and social justice advocates on WERU radio at 89.9 on the FM dial and streaming on the World Wide Web. I am Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. My guests today are Mohammed Ali Ibrahim and Bright Lakusa. Both Mohammed and Bright have lived and worked in Lewiston for years. Their work has focused on helping immigrants on a range of issues, including working to reduce bias stereotypes about immigrants from some longtime Americans. Mohammed is originally from the country of Djibouti in East Africa. Bright is originally from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Both Mohammed and Bright identify as being black. Um, thank you both for such an interesting and passionate discussion. And uh, thank you for your work in Lewiston, creating a vibrant and safe city for immigrants and for longtime Americans. And just your, uh, the power of your voices um, that about keeping on doing this work, no matter how hard it is, uh, uh, helps me. So thank you so much. Thank you, Steve. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Okay, we've, we, we're now stopped and muted. You were, you were just incredible. Um, I mean, uh, you know, um, every time we came up with a difficult issue, you, you each talked in a different way. It was really interesting. It was, um, yeah. You, um, I, I knew it was going to be really good. I did not know it was going to be phenomenally good. <laughs> so, um, so on the, the the first Thursday in July at four, um, if you want to listen to it live, just go to D um, W E R U um, on uh, the internet and uh, and. They'll have um, uh, something there that will tell you, you know, tell you something like you can lis listen to what's happening now. Um, but if you don't want to do that, um, uh, two or three days after that, I will send you the recording, which um, you can have. And, and if there's any reason... And I don't usually say this, but because 
um, uh, what you were doing was so, um, saying was so great. You might at some point want to um, just take some of that and if, with somebody who knows how to, to um, do this, to even have a, uh, like a two or three or four minute um, video you could send to people. Anyway, you were great. Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, thank you. There was, uh, I didn't know your journalistic side of uh, your, of you, Steve. Uh, well, my, my younger son is a investigative reporter. Uh, most of his work has been on immigration, uh, though he's broadening out. So um, maybe I've learned it from him. <laughs> 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 but I, uh, yeah. Um, and uh, Brad, it was good, to, good seeing you here, Brad. Uh, Very good well, to see you too. I'm and by the way, I'm going to be, I think I will talk to Fatuma and I'll get back to both of you about trying to figure out how can we do the most efficient way of starting the community conversations. I, I will train people and I will not ask for being paid for it. Um, and, uh, and then it's just the question of how do you get people there? Okay. Okay. So, um, thank you. I look forward to seeing you both soon. Thank you.